Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online apart from that there is a give button so if you're feeling led you can do that right online through our website you can also find us on facebook and youtube we are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that god's going to do something special in you through today's message enjoy so good to have all of you with us though this morning. We're, uh, we're currently studying the book of Hebrews as a church, and uh, maybe you're new or joining us this morning, and uh, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through entire books of the Bible, and if you weren't with us last week, I, I know there's a number of new faces here I see this morning, uh, just, just to really bring you up to speed kind of on where we've been. In the book of Hebrews, we last week covered the first 11 verses of chapter 4 in the book of Hebrews, and it was all about rest. Last week, we looked and talked about rest the rest that God wants to bring us. In fact, in the first 11 verses of chapter 4, 10 times, in 11 verses, 10 times in 11 verses, God speaks of rest. And so we looked last week at how we are created for a life of rest. That's what God created us for. Not for a life of stress and anxiety and worry, but rest and peace. Yet we talked about last week how we saw a little bit of this, um, what we labeled post-COVID trauma. Some of you are here this morning, you weren't here last week, you're like, what on earth is that? Well, you'll have to listen to the message from last week. We talked about it last week. Post-COVID trauma, that the reality is that our world, though God has called us and created us for rest, for the most part, our lives are not defined by rest right now. In fact, the entire world, I listened to this podcast that was fantastic, is walking out of COVID, and it was a very traumatic experience. And there's actually indicators and signs that we've been through trauma as a people, as a nation, and as a global uh, people. And so we're not really living these lives that are defined by rest or peace like Jesus told us about. And so the first 11 verses of Hebrew chapter 4 actually gave us a warning. The author of Hebrews actually writes a warning. And he says, listen, don't miss out on the rest that God has for you. And he gave us a warning. We saw this last week. There was two parts to that warning. The first one was by unbelief, by not trusting God, by not fully trusting God. Right? And we, we looked at how not taking him at his word, what he's, he's promised to us. And we saw the example of Israel in the wilderness. We'll, we'll, we'll touch a little bit more on that in a bit. The second warning came in the form of, of not, taking up on his offer, not taking him up on his offer of rest today. That far too often we live in the, the yesterday, the regrets of yesterday. Or if we don't live in the regrets of yesterday, we live in the, the promise of tomorrow. Which is kind of like, you know what, Jesus, not today. Maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow might be more convenient. It might be a better time tomorrow. But we know we're never guaranteed tomorrow. And so he says, today, if you hear his offer, take him up on it. So those are these kind of strict warnings. And that was the first 11 verses of chapter 4. And so to finish off Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to continue with this theme of rest. The whole chapter is about this rest kind of idea. But what we're going to see this morning is that we actually see what our sources of rest are. We're going to see two sources of rest this morning as we finish off Hebrews chapter 4. So if you want rest, this morning you're going to find out where you can get rest. Anybody here want rest this morning? Man, only like 10 of you at the most. 
The rest of you are just full of energy, hopped up on coffee, I guess. If you don't want rest, you can just tune out. But no resting. That's all I'll say. No resting. In fact, um, you know what you could do? Actually, you can join the kids downstairs. You actually can't join. I shouldn't say that because there's security reasons. We can't actually let you do that. But last week, I was early and helping out a little bit downstairs. And I, I came down the stairs, and they were setting up these blankets all over the floor downstairs. And they had these pillows and blankets. And I was like, oh, I'm speaking about rest. I wonder if they're like kind of tying this in with my message, you know, tying in this theme. And actually, what I honestly thought was it was, I thought Dana was actually, remember in kindergarten when you'd have nap time? I thought that's actually what she was doing with the kids downstairs. She's like, you know, wow, we're having a little bit of nap time or something. But I was wrong. They're actually, it's for their theme. They're doing picnics and parables over the summer. Uh, but I was jealous. I saw these blankets and pillows. And, and, uh, and so, and I thought, I'm not going to be outdone by Dana. So I brought my own, <laughs> my own blanket and pillow this morning. So if you would like rest, if you would like some rest this morning, you are welcome to come on up here and you can lay down. And you can have some rest, okay? So that's, that's open to anybody this morning um, because we're going to be talking about rest. And I don't want to be outdone by Nana. So, but actually what I want to do is I want to start by um, reading the verses we'll be looking at this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, listen, you need a Bible to follow along. And if you don't have a Bible in the seat back in front of you or underneath the seat, there will be a Bible that you can take out and uh, you can follow along there. Hebrews chapter 4, just go to the end of your Bible, the very back, and then kind of go back a number of books, and you'll get to the book of Hebrews. And we're going to begin in verse 11 this morning. We're going to read till the end of the chapter. So Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession." For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of God that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's take a moment and pray before we look at finding rest. Father, this morning, um, I, I don't know every person in this room, but I do know that probably every person in this room could use some rest. And Lord, I pray that this, this morning as we find these sources of rest that you speak to us and teach us about in the book of Hebrews, I pray, God, that we would apply this to our lives. God, that you would help us to be people that live at peace and at rest in all that you have for us. And so lead us and guide us. Speak to us through your word. I thank you, God, that it's your word. It's not my word. And that therefore there is power in it as we're gonna even see this morning. And so let your word go forth. I pray, God, for tired hearts that your word would minister and speak life and hope and rest today. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right. The first source of rest that we're going to see in our passage this morning is the word. Beginning at verse 11. So uh, let's start here in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, I know last week, I actually finished with this verse last week, and some of you might be thinking, why is he starting with this? I wanted to start with this verse because it really 
it, it really continues and, and creates kind of the context for where the rest of these verses are going to be going this morning. And we saw this, how last week we talked about this word that he says, let us therefore strive. And in the Greek, it literally means work to enter God's rest. It's kind of like he's saying, you need to work at resting, which is kind of like an oxymoron in a lot of ways. But that's what he's saying. You need to work at resting. And really what he's getting at here is you need to be diligent. You need to be intentional. In other words, in other words you're not just going to one day kind of by accident fall into God's rest. Do you know what I'm saying? You won't just one day wake up and go, oh, I'm just at rest all of a sudden. You need to work at it, right? We need to work. We need to embrace it by faith, learning to fully trust God. We saw this last week that trusting God is very easy, yet it's not very easy, right? It's very easy because, well, it's God. How can you not fully trust him? But it's not easy. Why? Because we all know that we struggle with it, fully, wholeheartedly trusting God. And so, so we looked actually at the example last week of, of the disobedience, and this is what he's talking about here in verse 11, the disobedience of not entering God's rest by not living by faith, by not fully trusting God. And, and the example he gave was of Israel in the wilderness, right? They send those 12 spies into the, the land of Canaan, and what happened? They came back, the 12 spies came back, and they had all these proof of the promises that God had given to them, right? It took two guys to carry that cluster of grapes. They're like, what? They're like grapes the size of basketballs? huge. And they, they come back and they, they tell the whole nation of Israel, it's amazing. Just like God said, it truly is a land flowing with milk and honey. The promises of God are true. That's basically the word they brought back. But if you remember, we saw this last week, there was 10 of them out of the 12 spies that weren't so good. 10 were bad, two were good, right? And so, so they come back and they bring this word that it's amazing. The land's incredible. The promises of God are true. However, they said, there are giants in the land. And the cities, they're fortified. They're stronger than us. And what happened? We saw last week, they began, the whole nation began to weep and cry out. And, and, and within only a couple verses, the next thing you know, what do they want to do? They want to vote on a new leader to take them back to Egypt. Take them back into slavery, right? And so God's like, they were disobedient. They missed out on the rest that I had for them. And so the author of Hebrews is telling us, make sure you fully enter into God's rest. Don't be disobedient. Fully trust God. Believe. Then look at verse 12. Because, or for, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now this seems like a bit of, it's almost like, seems like it's out of place here all of a sudden. We've been talking about rest the whole time, and then he all of a sudden, he all of a sudden and, and about making sure you have faith in God and trust in him to experience his rest, and all of a sudden he jumps to this next second, he's talking about the power and the effectiveness of God's word. And you're like, well, how is this related? Well, it's completely related because of the word for. For, right, ties. It's, it's a joining word, right? It's connecting these two thoughts. For, he says, and for actually makes it clear that God's rest and God's word are totally connected. We need to know that. We need to understand that. Because here's the reality. How do I know if I'm missing out on God's rest? How do I know if I'm not trusting God? How do I know if I'm being disobedient or, or how do I know if my life isn't lining up with all that God has for me? This is how I'll know. You gotta be in the word of God. You gotta be in the word of God. It's hearing what God tells you and says to you about living life. And if you attend this church for any length of time, you know I'm going to harp on this over and over and over. You need to be in the word. You need to be in the word. We learned this way back when, I think we were in the gym at that point right, when, when we went through the book of Joshua, that we learned that, that success is in your hands, right here. 
right? That's, that's what we're told in the book of Joshua. You're, you're flourishing or floundering depending on what you do with this book. You need to be in the word of God. And the, the, the reason being is that God's word is not like any other book. I could stand up here and I could read Shakespeare to you this morning. I wouldn't understand it. Some of you may. I could read some kind of crazy academic heady kind of books. I could read fluff. I could read Karen Kingsbury. How many of you like Karen Kingsbury? Some of you like Karen Kingsbury. I'll just save you the hassle. She's going to quote Jeremiah 20 and 11, and they're going to sing Great is Thy Faithfulness. That's the book, okay? So I've just summed up every Karen Kingsbury book for you. I've never read one, but my wife's told me that she always tells me when she's reading one. Oh, here it is, right? And there's, like, there's the verse or the song. They always, they always do it, right? Or I could read you Archie Comics, or, or I could read you whatever, John Grisham. All good books, right? Maybe not. Maybe not all good books. But you could read all these things. I could read them to you, and you might, you might even be motivated. You might even be inspired. But it's not like God's Word. It's not like God's Word. You see, God's word, the Bible, is not just some thousands of years old history book with cute stories and and words to live by. That's not what the Bible is. First off, verse 12 actually tells us that it's living and active. Some of your translations might say powerful, right? Living and active. These words that were written thousands of years ago, they're still able to be relevant and applicable to our life to this day. They're not just some dead letters that have been put on paper. They are alive, they are powerful, they are active. They're, in fact, the Bible tells us, inspired by the very Spirit of God. Isaiah 55, verse 10, 11, this is what God says. He says, the rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Are there any words like it? Are your words like God's word? No. In fact, I'm thankful that my words are not like God's word, that my words don't actually always accomplish everything that they say. Right? I'm very thankful for that. There's some things that I've said. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I need to take that back. Right? God's word has a power to it that it can accomplish things that our words can't do. It's different. It's alive. It's active. It literally can change and transform a life. The word of God has that power. I've actually, I remember hearing stories of people um, uh, in China where, of course, you know, we live in North America where, where you can read the Bible still at this time and uh, it's not illegal and we've got probably at home, many of us probably have like five, six, seven Bibles even at our house. Well, you go to China and you, you don't have access to a Bible like we do. And so they treasure those Bibles. And I've heard of like villages in China where they'll have a Bible brought in, translated into Chinese. And, and instead of having um, everybody getting a Bible, they'll split up a Bible sometimes between a village. And sometimes you have just one page one page that you get to read. I actually heard a true story about this woman, a Chinese woman, who was crippled. Her hands were crippled and her feet were crippled. Her knees, she couldn't walk, she couldn't use her hands, but she had one page from the Gospel of Mark and she began to just read about Jesus and she just was like, this is amazing. And she read over and over. She just would read that page every day, all the time. And as she read the Word of God, her hands literally started to open and her knees and her feet were healed and she could walk and use her hands again. The power, there's power There is literal power in this. The word of God, it's living, it is active. It's also like a sword, Hebrews tells us, that cuts in and separates or divides. 
Verse 12 went on to say this, so it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, ultimately what what I believe this verse is really saying here is that it it cuts through what is of God and what is not of God. That's what I think this verse is really getting at here. Soul and spirit. Soul and spirit, things that are eternal, things that are of God. And then what, what is joints and marrow? What, what is that? Some, and flesh, precisely. So the things of God and the things of the flesh. And what does the sword of the Spirit do? It discerns, it divides, it cuts between, and it shows you this is of the flesh and this is of God. That's, what the, that's why we need to be in the Word. It divides the natural and the spiritual. That's why it's so important that we be in God's Word to experience rest. Because you know what it shows? It shows what's of the flesh. It shows what's of disobedience. Like those ten spies. Right? It would show this isn't lining up with what God would be calling me into. But it also shows what is of the Spirit, what is of obedience or trust, like Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that had faith to go further. The Word shows, this is the thing, the Word shows what needs to change in my life so that I can experience God's rest. That's why we've got to be in the Word. The book of James actually tells us that it's like a mirror. He likens it to a mirror. And how many of you have maybe ever gone through your day with maybe you know, some big hunk of lettuce stuck in your teeth. Or you got like a big whitey on your face and you're like, you know, you go through the whole day and then you get home and you look in the mirror and you're like, oh my goodness, if I'd only known. And like, you know, you'd, it was like, yeah, get the toothbrush or whatever, right? Right, how many, right? No one wants to admit it. I mean, we've all done it, right? You go all day. That's what James tells us the word of God is like. It, it reveals and it shows us and it exposes what in our life needs to change. In fact, he says here that it actually gets down to the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It shows us what the, 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 the whiteies and the, the lettuce that's stuck in our heart that needs to be removed, that needs to be taken out. That's what the Word of God does. It shows us, it reveals, and it exposes it. It untangles, in many ways, it untangles the flesh from the faith. It, it untangles what's of me and what's of God, what's, what's human and what's heavenly. It exposes the things that are not of God, such as irrational fears. That's why you got to be in the Word, because you'll start reading things, and you'll start going, oh, I don't need to be afraid of that. Oh, God tells me more than one time a day for 365 days, do not fear, fear not, don't be afraid. Oh, I guess I don't need to be afraid of that. Right? He starts to reveal you those worries about tomorrow, that anxiety about whatever that thing is. That's not necessary. It shows you what is not of God, what's causing the restlessness. It reveals what's sin, what's disobedience. God's word reveals what is in my life that is stopping God's rest. That's why we have to be in the word of God. You show me somebody, show me somebody that is living at zero rest, and I'll show you somebody that most likely is not spending much time in the word of God. That's the reality. You know, we talked last week about this post-COVID trauma that the world kind of has experienced that we're coming out of, and how high-capacity people are now operating at like a 40% capacity, worn out and tired and frustrated and angry. Things are, you know, things are just different. One of the indicators about the airline travel, remember 120 incidents a year before COVID hit. Then in 2021, there was like 500 incidents in one year. Like we're talking like people having to be arrested on airplanes because everyone's angry. And then this year alone, there's been over 350 already where they've had to reroute planes or turn them around because of passengers being so angry. We're angry. There's this, this, this general sense right now, we're coming out of COVID, and we don't, 
You need to listen, by the way. I told you about the podcast last week, Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast, and he interviews John Eldridge. This is where they talk about this post-COVID trauma. You need to listen to it. It puts language to just maybe what some of you are feeling, probably what all of you are feeling in some sort of way, what we're walking out of, what we're coming out of. Last week, Andrew and I, my wife and I, were, we, we go for walks almost every day if we can help it and um, together. She gets home about 4.30. I try to get home at the same time, and we like to go for walks together, and uh, we'll just talk about our day and, and our life and what's going on. And last week, we were talking a little bit about, maybe it was the week previous, about the podcast and just the trauma that, that we had kind of come out of and the things that we'd experienced. And I said to Andrew, I said, you know, the trauma that you've experienced in the last, like, five or six years alone is, like, kind of off the charts. Like, like I was the one that kicked it off for her with having brain surgery. You know, I had to have brain surgery, I don't know how many years ago it was now, I can't remember because of it. But, <laughs> but you know, I, so, so here you are. For me, it was no problem. I was the one getting the surgery. Andrea was like, my husband's having to have brain surgery. This is freaky. And, and, then, and then after that, um, I think it was after that, your mom broke her hip. I think so. And then, so her mom breaks her hip. She has to fly up to Temple Ridge to help her mom out. Then after that, her dad basically dies like five times and has to be resuscitated because his heart is just a floppy mess and he has to get a heart transplant. And we have to, I mean, the trauma. And then after that, our firstborn daughter leaves for Australia right before COVID. And we're like, well, it's okay. I mean, there's tears and everything else. But I remember, I remember crying. I remember being, I didn't cry, but I remember being at the apartment building saying goodbye, like a wet puddle, mess. But I remember thinking and being like, you know what? We'll see you like probably in six months or a year at the most at Christmas. I'll be home for Christmas. She's reassuring us. And here it is. One week ago, we got to see her for the first time in over two and a half years. Right? And I'm just like, Andrea, the trauma that you have experienced and that many of you have experienced, we have COVID, but then we have regular life on top of it. Some of you have experienced death of loved ones and just horrendous experiences. You've been through a traumatic time and we're coming out of this. And I remember talking to Andrea and being like, you know what, I've learned, like she is so disciplined in the word. She'll get up every morning to work out, to lift weights. But you know what she does before she does that? She gets into the word of God. She faithfully reads and listens to what God has to speak to her from the word of God. And she memorizes scripture and she hides it in her heart. And I said to her, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, would you would be doing right now if it weren't for that and she's like i would i would she'd be the first to tell you i'd be just a mess if it weren't for the word of god because of all she's had to walk through trauma if you want to experience god's rest you need to be in god's word because it can really it can reveal what's truly in our hearts in fact look at verse 13 it says this and no creature is hidden from his sight because of the power Of the word of God, he says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's heavy. That's the power of God's word that you actually, it is so powerful that it's like it leaves you naked and exposed before God. He knows the very intentions of your heart. That's one of the reasons I've started working out. I want to look good when I stand before God. (laughs) It's not actually. But... um, you know what, I mean, so many people today, we worry about Big Brother or Facebook listening in on our conversations or Instagram or, or the government and what they're, you know, they're, they're eavesdropping on our private communication. Listen, that's not what you need to worry about. You don't need to worry about any of that. You don't. He knows if you've been sleeping. He knows, it's none of that, like, it's not even Santa Claus. God's way, like, you have a Father God who everything, this, this verse is told us, everything is exposed to. We will stand before him one day with nothing. 
We'll just stand there exposed before him. Encryptions with God don't work. He sees your emails. He hears your calls. He reads all your text messages. And he goes even deeper than that. He actually knows exactly what's in your heart. The intentions of your heart. And so now you might be thinking, well, Peter, wait a minute. I was kind of ready for rest by getting into God's word. Now I'm scared. Now I feel guilty. Now I'm more anxious. And that's, that's why now the author of Hebrews takes us to our second source of rest. So the first source of rest is the word. Our second source of rest is guess what? The word. It's the word. The first source of rest is the word. The second source of rest is the word. The first source is the written word. The second source is the living word, Jesus. This is where he brings us. There's another connecting word here in verse 14. The ESV doesn't put it quite as clear, but it says, since then, some of your translations probably say, therefore. Therefore, because of what was just communicated to us in verse 13, that you're going to be exposed and naked before God, knowing the very intentions of your heart. Therefore, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. In other words, he says, don't give up. Don't feel guilty that you're going to be exposed and naked before God. Feel forgiven. Don't feel guilty. Feel forgiven. You have a personal high priest in Jesus. Now, we might not really understand all the significance of this, how many of you are like, I'm so excited you're going to go tell all your coworkers on Monday, I have a personal high priest. And they're all going to be like, what? Right? Like, it won't make any sense. But for these, remember, the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians. We're probably all safe to say in here, the majority of us are Gentiles. It means you're not a Jew. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Okay? You got to remember, this was written to Hebrew Christians. Hebrew Christians that had had basically turned from Judaism to Jesus. They had exchanged their, their old way of religion and they had now said, I'm going to now put my faith and my trust in Jesus. And there was intense pressures for them to turn from Jesus back to Judaism. That's what this letter was. That's why this letter was being written. In fact, there was even persecution that was going on, saying, you, you drop that stuff. And so this fact that we're told here that you have your own personal high priest, this was huge. I mean, for them it would be unbelievable because at that point, the, the temple is still standing. It hasn't been destroyed yet in Jerusalem. Herod's temple was crazy. Herod's temple was like, it, Herod, when he built things, it was not for anyone else to get recognition but him. And so he rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem to this, the most magnificent kind of state that it ever stood in. So Herod's temple was there in Jerusalem at that point. The temple was still standing. Not only that, the priests were still operating and ministering. You could go to the temple and you would have the smell of incense rising up. You would have the, the smell of offerings, sacrifices being burnt up and offered to the Lord. You had the priests there in all their robes, all the bells and whistles, all the pomp was there in full force. And so family and friends of these, these Jews that had turned their life to Christ, had all this, they, they were saying to them, like, listen, you, you left this you know, talking about the temple and the worship that took place there and this, this, the priests that offered sacrifice. You left this for that? Because what was that? That for them was, they didn't, have, they didn't have beautiful buildings like we have today. They had homes. They had just simple, they just met in homes and sang some songs together. They met in homes and would just study the scriptures together. They met in homes and there was no priest. And so they're going, you left, you left all of this for that? right? But here's the thing. We, we just learned, we just went through the book of Exodus as a church. 
And we learned all about the high priest and their twofold role, right? That number one, they were to represent God to man. That's what the one role was, to represent God to man. And then the other part of that role was to represent man to God. That was the basic functions of a high priest. So that'd be through daily prayers of incense. That'd be through daily sacrifices being made for the sins of the people. But more importantly, that would all take place, if you remember, we talked about the, the tabernacle. It was about the size of the stage, the tabernacle that was built. That would happen in what was known as in, later on in the temple where they kind of duplicated a lot of the, the tabernacle as well. That was in what was known as the holy place. But there was, through a thick, heavy curtain, another room called the Holy of Holies. And in that room was where only one person could go and only one time a year. That was the high priest, only one time a year. And they could only enter through that curtain after making appropriate sacrifices for their own sins. And then they would enter through and they would there bring an offering for the sin of all the nation, all the people. And only one time a year they could do this. And it would be there that they would, they would enter into, it was like the very presence, the very throne room of God. It was a model or a picture of heaven. That's what we're told. Hebrews is going to tell us that in a few chapters. It was a model. It was a, a very picture. The holy place was, the holy of holies, I should say, was an actual picture of the actual throne room of, in heaven in some way. And on the day of atonement, one time a year, they would get to do that. They would get to go through that curtain and offer that atoning sacrifice for all the people. And so these Jewish, uh, these Jews would then be asking these Jewish Christians like, well, you left the temple and everything. Goes, you don't even have a high priest. Who's going to atone for your sin now? Who's going to do that work? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us who. Take a wild guess. Who is it? It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus. And look what we learn about Jesus, our high priest. This is why we should be excited. Because he's not just a high priest, what does verse 13 actually tell us? He is, there's a description, a descriptor word. He's our great high priest. See, there was plenty of high priests before Jesus. Aaron, there was a whole line of high priests. And they were good. But you know what the author of Hebrews is saying? Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. He is our great high priest. In fact, he goes on to say why? Because verse 13 tells us that he has passed through the heavens. Right? I mentioned that once a year that high priest could go into the Holy of Holies that was modeled after heaven. And what does the author of Hebrews tells us? He doesn't go to a model. He goes into heaven itself. The thing that this temple was modeled after. Well, who's better? And he's not just one time a year that he enters in, but every day of the year. He's always there living to intercede for us. Pass through the heavens. Thirdly, verse 13 told us that Jesus is our great high priest because he's the son of God. See, every high priest was just simply a man, but not Jesus. He's the God man. He's God in the flesh. No other high priest like him. And so therefore, verse 13 told us, hold fast your confession. Don't give up on Jesus because he's not given up on you, right? You think about how that, the, the, one of the functions of the high priest would be, you know, you came to high priest and you'd be like, I screwed up, I messed up. Go get a lamb, go get a sheep. Man, I would have the most diminishing flock of sheep. It would be crazy. But he's like, go get a sheep and then you'd come back and he'd offer that sheep as a sacrifice for your sin and blood would have to be spilled, showing the seriousness of sin, showing that a life and, and had to be given in place of your sin. But look at what John writes to us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. In other words, don't sin. It just screws things up. Don't do it. However, what does he say? But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate 
who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Jesus is like our high priest defense lawyer in heaven. That's literally what Jesus, he's our advocate. That's what an advocate is like. It's like a lawyer. And so, so now I don't have to go get some sheep every time I sin and bring it to some priest. I can be driving my car. I sin sometimes in my car. Some of you sin in your car an awful lot too. I can be driving my car and I can be like, oh Lord, I just screwed up. I shouldn't have done that. And I don't flip someone the bird, but maybe somebody flipped the bird at me. I'm sorry, Lord, for what I did to cause that person to want to flip the bird at me. Right? I messed up. I screwed up. Forgive me. I can be walking down the road. I can be in my office. I can be anywhere. And, and I can come honestly before him. Lord, I, I missed it there. I, I sinned. I made a mistake. I screwed up. Please forgive me. Help me in my struggle. And what happens? I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I don't have to bring some lamb. That's what Jesus does. He stands on our behalf. He says, it's covered. I got it. I paid the price for that one. And that one. And that one. And so the author of Hebrews says, grab onto him today. It's all about who you know. You know, there was actually, um, I read about a lady who was uh, pulled over one time by the police. And uh, she got pulled over and the, the police was at, looking at her license and noticed that, that, you know, how we have the restrictions on our licenses. And the restriction said that she was supposed to be wearing glasses to drive. And so the police officer says to her, he says, well, uh, your license says you need to be wearing glasses. Wear your glasses. And she says, oh, officer, I have contacts. And so the officer says, lady, I don't care who you know. You need to wear your glasses to be driving. Right? And the reality is, some of you are picking up, okay, right, uh, okay. But that's... That's, that's how it works. It's not so much what you know as it is about who you know sometimes. And when it comes to our faith, when it comes to living this life, it's all about who you know. And if you know Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you have a friend in high places. You have a contact. You've got a contact in heaven, so hold on to him. It goes on, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is amazing. Hold on to Christ, not only because he advocates for you, he's an advocate, he's a lawyer for you, but because he's actually able to sympathize with you in your weakness to temptation. Does anybody here ever have a weakness to temptation? Man, there's only like five of us that actually struggle with that. We all do. We all have weaknesses to temptation. You know what this verse says? It says Jesus gets it. He gets it. He gets what you are walking through with your temptation and the weakness that you have to it. He understands. And you might think, well, no, because it says here he never sinned. How can he truly understand if he never sinned? He doesn't know what I'm walking through. He can't sympathize with me. I like how C.S. Lewis addressed this question. He said this. He said, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. You find out the strength of an army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. We never find out the strength of an evil impulse until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full extent what temptation means. If you think about it, Christ's entire life was a massive temptation. Really, if you think about it. And why do I say that? I say that because he had at his disposal 
He had at his disposal all kinds of means to get out of the temptation. One of the temptations was to turn stones to bread. Why was that a temptation? Is that a temptation for you? Are you ever hungry? And I'm like, I'm so tempted right now to turn that stone into bread, but I'm going to resist. We can't do that. Why? We don't have the power to do that. Why was this a temptation for Jesus? Because he had the power to actually do it. Now, how many of you, to resist temptation, I'm not talking about stones to bread, but I'm talking about bad things. How many of you, if you had the power to just be like, be gone, wouldn't use that power? Do you know what I'm saying? And he had to resist that. He had to resist the very urge and the ability because of setting aside. He was fully God, but we're told that what? He, he laid aside his deity. He set it aside. I'm not going to pick that up. And because of that, he faced stresses that we will never know. He never took the easy way out. I would take the easy way out every time. He never did. Jesus knew depths and pains that we can never know precisely because he did not sin. And so therefore, like we're told here, he can sympathize. The Greek word, it it literally talks about sharing an experience with us in our weakness to temptation. You might not get much sympathy. How many of you don't get much sympathy at home? Where's Dave Frankie? (laughs) Dave, you don't get much sympathy at home, do you? No, no. I'm married to a nurse. I I know what it's like. Sympathy can be hard to come by sometimes. But if you want sympathy, you don't need to go anywhere else. Jesus gets it. Jesus gets it. So verse 16. We're going to wrap up with this verse. Let us then with confidence. Some of your translations maybe say boldly. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Christ is in heaven on our behalf. Advocating on our behalf as our high priest we actually have continual access to the very throne room of God. Not one time a year, any time, every day of the year. And you know what? We've heard this so many times before and you know what it kind of turns into? Wah, 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 right? It kind of turns into that where we're just kind of like, I've heard this before. Okay, I can go to the... This is crazy. Again, for the Jewish reader of of the book of Hebrews, their mind would be blown their mind would be completely blown at this. You mean no more sheep every time? And not only that, they'd be like, wait a minute, only the high priest and only one time a year could actually go into the presence in the throne room of God. You're saying I can go in whenever I have have to go? Like we need to get this. When can you go to the very throne of God? When? Anytime. Whenever you have a need. And, And how can you approach the throne of God? With confidence, with boldness. That's crazy. Think about the high priest. They had bells that were put around the hem of their robe. Why? And a rope tied to their leg. Why? Because when they went through that curtain, if they hadn't properly atoned for their own sin, they would be struck dead in the presence of God. And so if you didn't hear bells for a while, uh uh-oh, you would have to pull that rope and pull that high priest out. They went in with fear and trepidation. Is that how we go approach God? Boldly, with confidence. And what will you receive when you approach God? Help. You're going to get help in the form of mercy and grace. Mercy. If you've been at this church for any amount of time, you know what mercy is. What's mercy? Yeah, not getting what you deserve. And what's grace? Getting what you don't deserve. Mercy. Not getting what you deserve. You deserve death. You deserve punishment. Instead, you get grace. You get what you don't deserve. You'll receive mercy to cover the sins of yesterday and you'll receive grace for the needs of today. 
I, I think a little bit of like, it's almost like the Wizard of Oz. How many of you have ever seen the Wizard of Oz? Well, look how many more hands go up when I mention that. <laughs> sinners, sinners. <laughs> no, good move, good move. Wizard of Oz, and I think about the lion, right? He lacked courage. And if you remember that when they finally get to the great wizard and he stands before the wizard, the lion's there. And do you remember what he's doing? Is he like, yeah. No, he's like, remember he could barely talk. He's freaking out. And what happens? In fact, he actually, he actually turns and he runs down that hallway. And he runs and he dives through the window. Do you remember? And honestly, honestly, I, I think that's so often, I think that's like many of us approaching God. And, and to be honest, if we're going in our own courage and if we're going in our own confidence and our own works, we should approach that way. We should. Oh God, please don't kill me. Please don't squish me. I'm coming to you based on my own works, on my own righteousness, on my own efforts. But I've been pretty good this morning. And I got a big need and so I thought I'd give it a shot today, but don't squish me, right? That's what, that's what we would come before him like, just like the lion. But that's not us. Why is that not us? Because we have Jesus, the living word standing on our behalf, advocating for us. We have a great high priest. Therefore, we can come boldly, confident before the throne. We don't come rashly. We don't come, okay, we don't, we don't come impolite or disrespectful before God. We don't come in, yo, God, what up? Right, like we don't, we're not goofs. But we can be real and we can be honest because we have access to come confidently before God any time because Jesus has made, here's the thing, Jesus has made the God that sits on that throne your father. Now, if you have kids, I have kids. If you have kids, you know this. When I was here at the church, if I heard my kids when they went to Duncan Christian School, if I heard them ever come in that door, if I was even in a meeting, even an important meeting with someone, but I heard my kids come in and they're, oh, they need me? Just hang on a second. And I'd stop that meeting to go talk to my kids if I needed to. That's what you have. You're a child, you're a kid of God. And you can go see him whenever you need you have direct access for whatever it might be. So why don't we? Why don't we? Why don't we go to him like we can? I mean, no wonder we don't have rest. The Scottish theologian P.T. Forsyth said about this verse, he said, prayerlessness is the root of all sin. When we do not give time each day to earnest and believing prayer, we are saying that we can cope with life without divine aid. It is human arrogance at its worst. Jesus knew that he had to pray, and he did so, gladly, necessarily, and effectively. To be prayerless is to be guilty of the worst form of practical atheism. We are saying that we believe in God, but we can do without him. You know, the reality is, is that, that Jesus' arms are open wide for you. I don't think it's a mistake that he was nailed to a cross like this. Because he still stands like this, saying, come. Come. The nails aren't there, but the scars are. And he says, come, come to me, come to me because I get it. I understand what you're walking through. I know the rest that you're longing for. And it's here, come to me, he says. The weariness of your soul, the weakness of resisting temptation. And he invites you to give those burdens to him to find rest in him. And so if you want rest today, listen, go to the word because it leads to the word. This is why we love the written word because it leads to the living word, Jesus that's where we're going to find rest, is in Jesus. I want to actually close this morning. Um, I want to close uh, with an exercise in rest. This might be a little odd for some of you, but we're going to give it a go. Because I just believe that all of us could use some rest. 
if you need rest from the trauma of COVID, if you just need rest from life in general, the reality is, is you need Jesus. I, I, you know, I, I oftentimes, um, when I'm doing counseling, I'll, I'll tell people all the time, listen, if you're doing, coming to me for counseling, you, I, I usually preface it with this. You understand I'm a pastor. So everything I do and communicate and counsel is going to be based out of the Word of God, and everything I communicate is going to be based and directed towards Jesus. And so often I'll tell people in our counseling, I say, you know what, a lot of, I don't want to simplify this, but, but in reality you lack vitamin J. You have a vitamin J deficiency in your life. You have a Jesus deficiency. And so often, for all of us, it's the same story. We're lacking rest. Why? Because we haven't connected with Jesus. We just haven't connected with Jesus. That podcast that I mentioned with Kerry Newhoff and, and John Eldridge. Um, John Eldridge talks about this app that he has created. It's called the One Minute Pause. And it's just a simple way for us to create connection again with Jesus, for union with Jesus to happen again. Because honestly, you know why we're not at rest? Because there's been a break in the union. There's been a disconnect from Jesus. That's why a lot of reasons that we are not at rest, we're not at peace. And so I downloaded the app after listening. In fact, I was listening to the podcast as I was driving, which isn't a sin, but then I downloaded it while I was driving, which probably is a sin. And so, so I downloaded the podcast, or, or I downloaded the app, rather, because I, I was just so like, man, it just was ministering to me so much listening to that podcast. And I did the, I did the pause as I was driving, and I was almost tears. As the Lord, I just met with Jesus in that moment. It's just kind of like, kind of like guided prayer is kind of what it's doing. And what he does is he just, he starts off by getting you just to breathe deep. We're doing that. we're going to go, I was going to do the one minute one, but it's so short, we're doing the three minute. We're going to do the three minute pause this morning, in just a moment. And it starts with just some deep breathing. And some of you might be like, this is weird. It's not weird. It's, it's, in fact, I was talking to Dave Frankie just yesterday about how when we get anxious, when we get full of worries and fears, you know what we need to do? We need to breathe. Big, deep breaths. You know what it does? It actually changes your body. And what he was talking about was saying, you know what, I've actually learned to, to breathe in Jesus and breathe out the anxiety and the worry and the stress, whatever it is. And that's what this app does. He actually starts with breathing. And then he leads you through, he reads scripture, and then he guides you through giving some of those burdens, some of those things that are causing restlessness in your life to be let, just to let it go, to give it over to God. And, I, and the reason, you know, I, I want us to do this this morning because I've been practicing this for the last about week and a half since I downloaded the app every day. Sometimes I'll go to it just when I'm just feeling anxious again and just overwhelmed with things. And, I'll just, and it just forces me just to stop in the moment and just to reconnect with Jesus. Just to ground myself. There's scripture that's read, there's exercises, there's prayers, there's, and it just helps so much. And so some of you might find it a little bit strange. Too bad. We're doing it. And I want you to do it. I want you to take part in it. You're going to see, in just a moment, Bill's going to start it, and, and you, there'll be some audio. It just starts with breathing exercises. And then he's going to, so you, I want you to watch for the first couple seconds. You might be able to see it enough, because it actually gets bigger. It shows you kind of the tempo of the breathing. And then he's going to, and then I want you to close your eyes after about 10 seconds. I want you to close your eyes and just allow, at that point, just allow the words just to minister to you. You do what he says. Okay, so if he asks you to, to think about things to give away, who or what you need to give to Jesus, I want you to do that in that moment with your eyes closed and just let him minister. We're going to take three minutes and you're going to be like, that's an eternity. It's going to go by like that. And you know what? You're going to connect with Jesus this morning. You're going to meet with Jesus. I do this multiple times a day now just to help me just reconnect. 
And so, so Bill, Jerry, we ready? Can we crank that up and uh, go ahead and, and get it started? So you're going to see, I think it will enlarge and shrink. Deep breathe in. Long breath out. You'll actually go with the tempo of the music in a moment. Let it up. Just close your eyes. Just kind of go with the tempo. Just allow, just meet with Jesus in this moment. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. What do you need to let go of? I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, heal my union with you. I love you. I believe you. I worship you. Restore our union, Lord. Heal and restore our union. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray for more of you, God. Fill me with more of you. I pray the river of life would fill me, restore me, renew me, surround me. I need more of you, God. Saturate me with your love. Saturate me with your life. That's good. That's enough for now. That's it. That was three minutes. But when you can do that on a regular basis, just connecting again with Jesus, and just, you know what, it's helped me so much with my burdens and the things that are weighing me down and freaking me out. I just picture myself giving them to Jesus. I'm like, I'm not supposed to carry it. You're the one with the big shoulders, so I give it to you. And you just let go. It helps so, so much if you can connect with Jesus on a regular basis. You know, it's not necessarily about how much you love Jesus. I think it's more so about how much you know how much he loves you. That's when healing really starts to come. We're gonna close this morning just with a song. And, um, and what I want us to do is I, I, I actually, uh, I just invite you as the team comes, 
just to allow Jesus in this moment to minister to whatever it is, whatever need you might have this morning. And I want us just to take time to allow him to speak and work and minister in our lives. I think far too often we just show up for an hour and 15, hour and a half at church and then we go through the rest of our week. So if you're here right now, I'm gonna monopolize every moment of that time. But we're gonna just take some time right now, just a few minutes. And I want us just to connect with Jesus in these last few moments of our service now. Can we just close our eyes and just, just begin to prepare our hearts? And so Jesus, we, we just ask right now, Lord, for that connection. Lord, I pray for those of us in this place that have broken the connection in some way. I thank you that we don't have to work harder to get that connection back. We simply come, we repent, we put our lives in your hands and that connection is restored. And so I pray just right now for a healing, for a reuniting with Jesus to take place this morning. God, that we would leave this place lighter, physically feeling lighter, because we've just left so many burdens, so many weights, so many worries at the foot of the cross. Lord, we leave in your hands our lives right now. Our relationships, our families, we just put them in your hands. We say, Jesus, have your way. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. I trust you. I choose to trust you this morning. And I pray right now, Jesus, that you just, just minister to lives here this morning. Touch hearts and minds. Bring transformation. Bring rest. Bring rest, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Listen, blessings on you guys. It was good to worship Jesus, to connect with Jesus together this morning. And just may you be strengthened by the mercy and grace of God this day. May you find rest in him. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.